0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Glad to see you here so we can talk about discipleship through a lens of racial reconciliation. I'd like to open with a prayer. This one is from uh, the Book of Common Prayer. It's called The Prayer for the Human Family. Oh God, you made us in your own image and redeemed us through Jesus, your son. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts, break down the walls that separate us, unite us in bonds of love, and work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth, that in your good time, all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, we're diving in, racial reconciliation. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about why this topic matters to me um, and perhaps why they asked me to um, speak on it as we go through our series on discipleship this fall. Uh, In the Diocese of Southwestern Virginia, where I served before coming here, I served as the diocesan missioner for becoming Beloved Community. And what does that mean? Well, that means that it was one of my roles um, to help Uh, remind um, all of us about um, reconciliation as the gospel work. It is how we relate to each other, how we live into our baptismal covenant, how we live into a fuller life that God intends for us as Christians. Now, that's why it matters to me. Why should it matter to you? Well, the truth is we are all called to be a part of this work. Um, What I like to say often is that if black people or people of color could fix this, it would have been done a long time ago, which means that um, racial reconciliation really belongs with you all. Most of you, all of us in this room. Um, And so it is our job, your job, particularly as disciples who sit in the majority role in this country um, to help us live into the beloved community that God intends for us. Um, A lot of this is anchored in our baptismal covenant and we'll talk about that as we go through. The baptismal covenant, if you remember, it's that piece in our liturgy that we say every time someone gets baptized and also at special services like Easter, whether or not somebody is baptized. Um, And there's a series of five questions that we are asked to uh, follow um, or asked to consider how we live into These, they're not requests, they're not mandates, but they are questions that are designed to help us consider our life as Christians, our life as Christian disciples, and how we live into our lives. Um, Questions like how we seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving our neighbor as ourselves. How we strive for justice and peace and respect the dignity of every human being. These are the questions that are asked in our baptismal covenant, and the answer is. No. Well, that's part of it. What's the rest? with God's help. I will with God's help. That's how we're asked to respond, right? It's not the collective we will that comes after we ask, will you support all these people in their lives in Christ? This is a question and answer for you. For you. And The baptismal covenant thus helps to frame our lives as disciples of Christ, I think. And we're constantly called back to um, think about those five questions and how we live into them. And racial reconciliation is one of the lenses through which we can look at discipleship and how we measure up at any time for those five questions, four of the five that, that directly relate. Um, and if we fall short, to kind of say, okay, this is my opportunity to get back on track. This is my opportunity to re-engage and find a new way. This is an opportunity for me to sit down and talk with my friends, my priest, because I feel like I'm falling short in this area and maybe I need to do a little bit more. <clears throat> Those baptismal covenant questions stand as um, a reminder for all of us of what it looks like to be disciples. So. Uh, In the Episcopal Church, the work of racial reconciliation is a priority. It is on the front page. It is one of Bishop Curry's main priorities, how to call us back into community with God and with each other, because you can't be in community with God. If you are not in community with each other, let me let that sink in for a moment. You cannot be in community with God if you are not in community with one another. I wonder how that feels, the truth of that, whether that's something you've considered before or not. But that is why this work of racial reconciliation particularly is important to the Episcopal Church, for us to take a look at who we are as disciples of Christ, as Christians, and how to remedy some of the past wrongs that have been done and prevent them from continuing to happen. And we talk about this work as how we become beloved community. Background of this term, beloved community, you may hear it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, You may know that Martin Luther King kind of popularized this term as a way of talking about how we live in community. Um, He learned about it through the scholarship of Josiah Royce. So it wasn't Dr. Martin Luther King Jr's term. He got it uh, for Josiah Royce, who was a Harvard professor, a historian and philosopher. He's known as the founder of American idealism. Um, But Dr. King took these ideas and kind of ran with them and used them to put into plain words, God's gospel wish for all of us and put into conversation in the world in which we live. Um, Even now, the term beloved community points to an ideal towards a world that doesn't exist yet but we are all called to uh, work towards, move towards, be mindful of in our interactions individually, um, in the communities we live in, and also um, to help the society that we live in point towards uh, that ideal. As the Talmud says, probably a good week to quote the Talmud or paraphrase it, I guess, you may not complete the work, but that doesn't mean that you are free not to do it. So the way that the Episcopal church breaks this down is they have a labyrinth with four quadrants. I hope you've seen it, um, in the past. If not, let me know. And I will, um, make it available. And those four quadrants that uh, the Episcopal Church breaks down uh, the work of racial reconciliation into are truth-telling, proclamation, formation, and justice. Those are the four quadrants, truth-telling, proclamation, formation and justice. And with a focus on each of those, um, they hope that we will, um, it will give us a path to engage those questions, in the baptismal covenant to engage some of the, um, of who we are and why we are, um, and uh, point us towards where we um, should be. So let's take those each in turn. What is truth telling? Can somebody give me a, just a very high level, what is truth telling? Yeah. Um, so saying what is honest, um, the, you know, the real facts yeah. of a situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Telling the truth about our churches and race. You're absolutely right, Justine, it's that simple. About our society and race. Um, because it points us to what we may need to do to reconcile. Um, if we talk about how we have treated others and I mean that universally and individually, um, it's an honest conversation. Sometimes it's an uncomfortable or painful conversation, but it's necessary, right? You've heard that. Um, saying before those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it, right? And so having this honest conversation about who we are as an Episcopal church, as St. James, as Marisa, right? Whichever layer it is, um, those are things that we are called to. Um, And um, because we're called to be honest, not only with each other, but it's also with God, right? It's again, it's that, Anchoring of our relationship in our discipleship, how we whether we buy into the stories we tell ourselves that may not be true or we kind of strip away the artifice and look at how things um, really may have been. Uh, You know, it's it's, it's, this is a hard one um, because a lot of people say, well, you know, we. I didn't have anything to do with why this country is the way that it is or why our society is the way that it is. Um, I didn't give the money to build this church. This is true, but the truth is we all, everyone in today's society is a product of of our history, um, is a product of the systems that have been put in place the way that they are. And so they are worthwhile conversations to have, even if uncomfortable. Um, and by not having them, then it kind of serves as a barrier between us and God. Um, Who here has taken sacred ground? Yeah, that's great, that's great. So um, can you say a little bit about sacred ground and perhaps truth-telling, anyone? Yeah, Seth. I found it um, to be quite stunning and so much truth and things that i thought were true in american history were told to be very different it yeah. was a completely different take on what i i have been taught in school yeah. absolutely so seth was saying that um sacred ground provides a an anchored in our faith um retelling of history not retelling but perhaps a more fulsome telling of history um, more than perhaps what you learned in school um, or have encountered beyond these are stories that um, are part of who we are our backstory part of why we are the way that we are in this country um, and and they're important to know and so those taking sacred ground go through 11 weeks of truth telling, of learning why systems are the way they are, um, in order to, um, go deeper in their relationship. I commend it to all of you. It is absolutely worthwhile at a big commitment, but don't let that stop you from finding ways to go deeper if you don't have those 11 weeks. Is yes. it's still possible to join sacred ground this? This, I know, what going on a wonderful, right what a wonderful question. It is not possible to join at this point. I don't think um, you can't join this late, um, but we will be offering another circle. And so I encourage you to keep a lookout for that and look for other ways to engage in this truth telling work, um, not only through forums and programs and things like that, Man, this time goes fast. All right, I'm gonna move on. Yes. I, that floor. Um, I did a program called Roots and Branches, mm-hmm. which was before we offered Sacred Ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's still done, and anybody who might want to look that up, it's very worthwhile, and it ended up being an enormously diverse community. And the conversations that we got into in that were stunningly wonderful. So I just, I. Offer that up, stunningly wonderful. I love that. <laughs> where was the? Where is the? Online. Uh, just look it up online. Online. Just the readings and are extremely educational. Yeah, yeah. The the. Yeah, the book is. Uh, I'm sorry. The sacred ground is anchored in a book called Waking Up White, um, which, if you haven't read, I commend to you. It's it's not a deep read. It is a a um, good read that helps connect um, the material for you. Yes. Ken. No, I was just going to say it would be interesting to know how you could access some of this material yes. even if you're not in the yep. program. Um, absolutely. you just mentioned one way Yeah, waking up white is a great place to start. Um, if you want to go deeper, I mean, we need to think about how we have conversations around racial reconciliation in this place. So um, let's, let's think about that together. If that's something, if you want to know to go deeper, get in touch with your clergy, any one of us are happy to help give you kind of a sacred ground starter pack. Um, if you want to start reading outside of that, um, Howard Thurman's Jesus and the Disinherited is another um, great resource. Um, to kind of learn a bit um, and let's figure out what truth telling um, continues to look like um, here at St. James. I just wanted to say for people who might be um, have a hard time reading uh, like dense, well they're not dense books, Howard Thurman maybe, there's a lot of um, video um, programming too, like short clips um, yeah. that are very powerful and so that's that's also I think that's, that's and that's why if they get in touch with their clergy we are happy to um, give you a, a short list of how you can engage. I've encountered it in different ways. We did kind of a sacred ground light I've done before um, for uh, just a one hour video and discussion series um, for those who can't commit to a whole eleven weeks. So great ways that we can engage in this if um, this is something that the community wants to lean into. Um, I'm going to move on just because time is short already proclamation. A proclamation is proclaiming God's dream of becoming beloved community. This is giving voice to how we show up, how we proclaim by word and example, the good news of God in Christ. Again, those words from our baptismal covenant showing up. Um, this is the first John let us love, not just with words, but deeds. Um, and um, it is not only looking at ourselves through a lens of truth, but how we welcome those around um, among us who don't look like us or talk like us, um, how we welcome the stranger among us. Um, and so the question there is how do we put into action the words that we say that we believe? So you may learn a lot through truth telling, but then you have to do something with it. Can anybody think of an example of proclamation here at St. James? Inclusivity. Okay. Yep. Yep. Something concrete. Would our plaque. Our plaque. Yes. Right. We did the truth telling work. We learned, we acknowledged, and then we put it out there for everyone to see that this is important. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Is there anybody who doesn't? Okay, great. Can somebody give kind of a high level? This is what the plaque is that sits on Madison. Yeah, Mary. Well, Sarah here. Sarah Cunningham here. Yeah. No, she did a lot of the work. Um, a group of parishioners, a group of parishioners did some work with the diocese and um, realized that, or discovered that there were that the original wardens or vestry um, of the church used money made from the work of slaves to build our church and to erect St. James. And so our plaque actually recognizes that work and recognizes and, um, you know, basically is an acknowledgement, a proclamation that the work that was done here to build this building was made, you know, basically on the backs of slave labor. So people who were on that committee probably know better than I do. It's a fun, fun right. Yes. Yes. Right. It's right if you right stand on, on Madison it. Avenue, it's right there for you to see and read our acknowledgement, saying that this is part of who we are. Right. This is who we were, who we are, and we acknowledge that. Um, yeah, it's an important piece of uh, racial reconciliation. Is not just learning about things, but then proclaiming them, making them known. The third piece of the labyrinth, as I mentioned, is formation, and this is how we practice Jesus's way of healing love. Uh, We talked about discipleship through the way of love. I think that was last week with Zach, yes? Um, And we know formation is a lifelong activity. You're sitting here, so clearly um, you're open to, uh, to this. Sunday school isn't just enough. Um, for purposes of racial reconciliation, this is how we seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Formation is just as it sounds, which, um, you know, these are the activities which help us move deeper into our lives as disciples to be more diligent. Um, education is one way. Um, but when we look at, um, we can spend a lot of time in education and forget that there's a component of action also that comes along with it. Again, that deeds part that comes from First John, but you have to start somewhere. One of the things that um, can be done uh, that perhaps we do do. I'm actually not sure. Um, the in general convention, the big Episcopal Church convention that happens every three years most of the time, except for when we uh, end up in COVID, um, has um, has uh, said that all people in church leadership positions are required to take anti-racism training. And so our vestry um, has um, the ability and may have taken already anti-racism training. So. That's a a type of formation um, that's targeted at racial reconciliation to make us aware of the ways that um, we can even unintentionally um, put barriers between us and God by putting barriers between us and each other. The fourth and last quadrant of the labyrinth um, is justice. And that's how we work to repair breaches in our society and our institutions. And this calls for us to do work that perhaps goes outside of Sunday mornings. A lot of times goes outside of our walls um, to actively engage the communities in which we find ourselves and to look that honest look again at the ways that our society continues to struggle to achieve the just society that God calls us to. Now, this may sound political to you, but it is not. It is biblical. Um, God calls us to take care of the ger, that's a Hebrew word meaning stranger, Um, those that um, are among us. God calls on us to feed the hungry, to clothe the unclothed, to take care of the widow and orphan. These are all part of um, the stories that are repeated again and again, both in the Old Testament and the New, and in the New Testament, particularly in the life of um, the lived experience of Jesus. Um, it's easy to look at church as just a place for prayer, but we are more than that. We are called to be more than that in our discipleship um, because justice is the base of God's love and the foundation of our relationships with each other. Um, and justice is what lies at, um, at the core of being a disciple of Christ. Now, I've um, talked a whole lot I'm about to turn it over to you. Just a couple things. One, I talked about a labyrinth and if you haven't seen it, the imagery of a labyrinth is used by the Episcopal Church specifically because this is not a straight road. Right? None of this is a straight road. Racial reconciliation is complex and big and uncomfortable and challenging. And there's not one thing that can be done to fix it because again, if it could have been, it would have been fixed by now, but here we are. So labyrinth imagery loops back on itself and is a windy road and goes around and down and over and across. And so that is the imagery that, that Uh, mirrors our journey. But once we get on that path, we stay on that path. We're called to continue to figure out where we are, what we can do, how we can engage, how we can truth tell, proclaim, um, how we can do justice. There are some really neat ways that happen here at St. James, and I'm hoping that you might have an opportunity at your tables to talk about it. So my question for you um, is this. What is one way in this place, in the circles that you're in, or you directly already lean into this work? And what's one way that you might choose to deepen your own discipleship in this area? So I'll repeat, what's one way that either you or this place or other circles that you're in, how you already lean into this work and what's one way you may choose to deepen your own discipleship in any one of the four quadrants? That's your comp- that's your um, question for tabletop. Thank you. <laughs> friends i'm going to interrupt you for just a second because i want you to continue these conversations i've got to run upstairs though so thank you please continue we'll see some of you upstairs at 11 (laughs) 15.